Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican. I'm your host, Colleen Deli. The Synod on Synodality is just around the corner, and one of the biggest questions in advance of the Synod was centered on who would be able to vote at it. The Vatican announced that at the Synod, women and lay people will be included for the first time as full voting members. Now, there's been some discussion about whether in this first session in October 2023, there will be any voting at all. It's possible they'll save that for 2024. But Father Lou Camelli has written a piece in the National Catholic Reporter arguing that if the Synod is not a parliament, as Pope Francis always says, then voting should be dropped. So today, Jerry and I are here with Father Camelli uh, to talk about his article. And just by way of introduction, Father Lou Camelli is Cardinal Blaise Supich's delegate for formation and mission. He's a priest of the Archdiocese of Chicago and has authored a number of books on theology and spirituality. So uh, welcome from New Orleans, Father Lou. Thank you, Colleen. It's good to be with you. And you're joining us from Chicago? I am. And uh, Jerry, you're here too. Good morning. Good afternoon from Rome, Colleen, from <laughs> sunny Rome. <laughs> yes, good morning, good afternoon. All right, Father Lou, let's set this up. So you wrote a piece in NCR arguing that if the Synod is not a parliament, then we shouldn't be voting. Run us through your argument. Why shouldn't participants in the Synod on Synodality be able to vote? Yeah, it's a pretty simple thing. Basically, if we set up the, the vision that there's going to be some voting at the end of a process, whether it, it probably isn't going to be in the first session, but it looks like there might be something in the second Um as long as that's on the horizon, my contention is that uh, people will bring their various positions into play, argue for this or that. And it really undercuts, I believe, that the basic dynamic of the Synod as Pope Francis has outlined it. The Synod, at least as I understand it, is really the church learning how to be church. And it, it is a continuation of a process that began with the Second Vatican Council. In fact, one of the, this is not in the article, but it's something that's meant an awful lot to me, is that the opening of the second session of the Vatican Council, Pope Paul VI addressed the whole assembly and said that the basic direction and dynamic of the council was very, he, he put it in a singular uh, focus, it was the church claiming consciousness of herself, knowing who she is so that she could be equipped in mission to go out. And that's exactly, it seems to me, what uh, Pope Francis has envisioned for the Synod on Synodality. But if there's this prospect of voting, I, I think it's going to um, short circuit what the Pope hopes for. Got it. Jerry, uh, you've covered a bunch of synods. I wonder, you know, can you, one, give us your take on this? And two, uh, give us some some background here on how synod voting worked under previous popes and, and now under Francis. Like, how has this changed over time? 
I, I remember perhaps before the year 2000, um, it was very difficult to get information first about what was happening inside. Even even the, they called them recommendations to the Pope that mm-hmm. were emerging. They, you really had to have some insider information to get it because it was not coming through the official channels. And I guess and, uh, we should pause for a moment to make clear here to our listeners that what is being voted on in the Synod is usually these recommendations to the Pope. So there's all of this discussion, uh, and then at the end they come up with a, a draft document, and then usually the bishops would vote on that document of recommendations paragraph by paragraph, uh, and that's how they would come up with their official list of recommendations to the Pope. So we had two things. We had what was happening inside in the Synod and what we knew outside or what we didn't know outside. Uh, Secondly, you had a a very carefully controlled uh, discussion, operation inside, and you had issues which were being eliminated that couldn't be discussed. And I I remember in, I think it was around when the African Synod was being held, and uh, I went to Cardinal Lorenzi, whom I was quite friendly with, and who's still alive, by the way, and who was one of the one of the surviving bishops of the Vatican II. He was a bishop mm-hmm. at the age of thirty-two on the last session of the council, and he, he was president delegate, so he had a lot of power over the African Synod. And uh, I said to him, uh, "Can you agree to publish the recommendations at the end?" And he said, "It hasn't been done up to now." And I said, "Look." Cardinal, I've covered several synods, and I've always had all the recommendations, even though they were never supposed to be made available. And he agreed to do this. And this was a kind of a breakthrough from, one would have said, a classified as a conservative cardinal. He went to the Pope, and the Pope said, okay. So, uh, th- so that's not exactly on the voting, but it's, it's on the climate in, around which... Then on, in, in the internal voting, we didn't really get to know what, was, what the votes were, not from official channels. But mm-hmm. again, you got to know, know what the votes for the unofficial channels were. And you could see there was polarization on some issues, but uh, there was a majority and a minority, more than at the, the Second Vatican Council, the final voting was pretty wouldn't call unanimous, but good consensus was certainly there. Uh, in, in some of these synods, that was not the case. And again, just pausing with a, a little context question, um, is for a synod paragraph to be approved, would it be like a two-thirds majority, a one-half majority? What are we talking about? Usually you're talking about two-thirds. Uh, and cool. you, you, you go back to the synod on the family. The, the whole issue around the divorce and remarriage, it got through by two-thirds, just mm-hmm. over two-thirds, but it got through. I want to throw a question to to Father Lou now. Father Lou, you, you drew a contrast in your article between discernment and debate, and yes. it seems clear that Pope Francis wants from this synod uh, a, a group discernment like has almost never been done before, you know, where yes. everyone's coming together. and And so your argument is that the fact of there being a vote would make people more inclined to debate rather than discern. I think that given the way that the Senate is structured, 
it actually would be possible as long as people are open uh, for there to be a legit discernment and then for a vote to simply reflect the results of the group discernment. But, you know, if if you think that that's not the case, how do you think that the recommendations to the Pope should be made at the end of this? Yeah, let me go back to that notion of discernment because it's a a word that is uh, used by a number of people in lots of different ways. It, it, there's a certain amount of equivocation on it uh, because for some people, discernment is just another way of talking about let's do, let's figure out what's what's going on and, and then mm-hmm. out of that come to a decision, a conclusion. Mm-hmm. In fact, classically, discernment is really not a process of figuring things out or even less arguing a position to uh, arrive at a conclusion. Okay, clearly that. But it's not figuring things out. It is much more a process of discovery. Mm -hmm. The the assumption is that um, there is a truth, uh, a truth that is emergent in the reality of our experience. And, And that truth is there by God's gift and grace. And it's a question of being attentive and noticing, and in that a recognition, this is this is where God is leading us. That's mm-hmm. a lot different than trying to figure things out. Yeah, and I think that resonates with a lot of our listeners. I mean, we are a Jesuit publication, and a lot of people have a familiarity with Ignatian spirituality, Ignatian discernment, which is very much this process of discovery. And, and so uh, I, I think that's really the, the hope. In, in a certain sense, this is a different kind of synod. If the Pope, as I understand it, is calling the church to this process, then... Uh, now, let's go back to your, your question, which was? <laughs> My question was, how do you think that recommendations should be communicated to the Pope if there is no voting? I think if the body of the synod is able to allow for this larger sense of people sharing their experience, where they're drawn, the sensing the movements and so forth, and eventually eventually arriving at a, a consensus, if you will, of value and conviction, I think that's how, uh, and that can be brought to the Holy Father. And actually, the conclusion of that synodal discussion, as I would hope that it would happen, is that people coming from very different experiences and concerns would be able to say, oh, I see things differently now. Mm-hmm. That this is a different way of looking at things. And, and to, to hand that on to the Holy Father would be a very valuable service. So it's not, I mean, I think if we stay with the category of recommendations, that perhaps it's not adequate. It's not up to the task mm. of synod on synodality. That's an interesting distinction. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. That, that that would be my take on it. Cool. Jerry, I want to know what, what do you think of this argument that Father Lou is making? Well, I, I think uh, uh, Father Lou is absolutely correct. This is a new type of synod, which we've not had before. This is a new model of synod. Uh because you have, you will have people speaking for a certain amount of time. Then you will have prayer sessions, and yeah. then they 
come back out of their prayer and reflection and say what they felt about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is taking them down another road to the kind of one that has been walked through over the past 50, 60 years. So it is an experiment. Now, in terms of voting, I, I always go back to the conclave and what Father Luce said about discernment. Because the first votes in the conclave, they've remembered they've been talking together for 10 days and so having some kind of a, a discussion, discernment process. The first mm -hmm. votes then offer them the possibility of discerning which candidate to go for which direction mm -hmm. to move for. So a vote can, in fact, be a, a real asset to the discernment at a certain point. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I think we have to see. Um, my feel is that they're going to try, at least for the first few weeks, to work without voting, to have topics, uh, and there will be general topics, not single-issue questions. There were you know, questions of communion, of participation, and uh, what is the other one? There are three. Mission. Mission. Mission, yes, those three. And that's moving it away from the single issues which have been a very strong factor in past synods. So I, I think uh, uh, what Father Louis is saying is correct, that we will have this attempt to go beyond the particular positions to go deeper. And that's what Francis wants. He wants it to go deeper. I think since the Second Vatican Council, we've not had anything quite as exploratory as we have in the Synod. All right. We are about halfway through our conversation with Father Lou Camelli of the Archdiocese of Chicago and our veteran Vatican correspondent, Jerry O'Connell. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation. Stay with us. Welcome back to our conversation with Gerard O'Connell and Father Lou Camelli of the Archdiocese of Chicago. So before the break, we were talking about how these conversations at the Synod are meant to be about so much more than a single issue. They're meant to be a process of discovery through discernment with the Holy Spirit. But I want to push back on this a little bit because I think that it's still possible for there to be a real synodal transformation among the participants and have the vote at the end. I don't think that necessarily threatens it. Yeah, if the if the focus is not on on issues, you know, or positions and so forth. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right, Colleen. Mm -hmm. That 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 could be the case. You know, in my article, in my NCR article, I um, I, I raise a caution because of what's happened in other Christian communities. Right. Yeah. When, you know, when when they've come together and especially focused on the so-called hot button issues, for example, mm -hmm. gender and sexuality and all that, it really it really tears communities apart. Mm -hmm. and because I think there's a a, a lack of a prior uh, experience right. of, of 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 the synodal church. One of the things uh, I'm, I'm I'm thinking about. Uh, is writing another article 
some time ago, I wrote a book about the devil. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I've written about Jesus, Mary, the Eucharist, faith, and all that. But what do people want? They want the devil. That's the bestseller. It's called of The all Devil of You yeah. Don't Know? Something exactly. Like that? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a very simple thing. There's a, four basic temptations um, deception, division, diversion, and discouragement, the four Ds. And whenever something good is happening, you can be sure that there will be some kind of adversarial presence pulling us off track. And we've certainly seen that in every synod that at least Jerry and I have covered together. Exactly. Exactly. And this one, I think, is is very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And it's a delicate moment in the the life of the church. And we have to be aware Mm -hmm. of the, the, the possibility of missing the the truth of it all, of of being divided from each other, of being diverted from our our fundamental mission and purpose, and and then in the end getting discouraged because it doesn't seem to be, you know, moving Mm -hmm. in the direction we want. Mm -hmm. So I I think there's a lot at stake, and we have to be very careful as as we go in. Not, not, Not afraid, but careful. Prudent. Yeah, aware of the uh, risks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's also important what y'all were saying earlier about how this we don't exactly know what this process is going to look like. It could be that something right. happens in the Senate and maybe voting seems like a better idea. Maybe doing away with the vote seems like a better idea. But it so much depends on what happens in that room that we we can't foresee. But Jerry, I wonder if you have any insight for us from your sources in the Vatican about, you know, what they're thinking about in terms of voting. What's what's the latest? Well, it's, it's not clear. As I said, yeah. I, I've spoken to the two key persons in the synod. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is very clear is that there is a real consciousness that, that this could really bring a seismic change in the church. Jerry, did now, you just say seismic, like having to do with seism, se- or seismic? Seismic. <laughs> seismic. Like uh, an earthquake. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Just okay. wanted to make that clear. <laughs> sure. There are others who do think it will be seismic. I, I know. Uh, yes, there's <laughs> that word gets thrown around. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I mean seismic. I, I think that this synod has the potential to really bring this sea change in what happens in the diocese, what happens in the parishes, what happens at the universal level. I want to raise one more kind of concern that I have about this conversation about voting, which is, you know, Jerry knows this. Since we first started this podcast, I've been really focused on this question of uh, why women weren't allowed to vote in the Synod. And I was very excited to see that they would be this time around. And I think that everything y'all are saying about, you know, the spiritual openness, this is all really important and really true. I just, there's something that that still rubs me the wrong way about the idea of, you know, finally opening the vote to women, to, you know, lay members of the Synod and then closing it and saying, oh, no, never mind. You know, it, it almost gives a sense of like, well, no, it, it wasn't that important. My comment on this is very, is very straight. Mm-hmm. I, I think what is important is that women are a sizable block of the participants. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's as it's as a member, as a participant, that the real influence takes effect. So 
I, I think that whether there will be voting or when there will be voting, I, I expect at some stage there will be. But mm -hmm. it, it's the fact that women are in as full members in the working groups, in the plenary sessions, with equal voice to the cardinal and the bishop from God knows where. You, you have the whole people of God, not just the hierarchy at work here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. This, this lines up with the discussion being more important more important than the, the vote, which is what we've been talking about. Fatherly, what did you want to say? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that would be my own take on it too, that the voice even more than vote. Uh, I mean, to, the vote is a demonstration of maybe of some power or something, but the voice is opens up horizons, uh, allows us to take a look at things in a new way. The, the voices of these various people, women and others as well, uh, lay lay people. So that's where I, I would hope that, you know, that that would be prized and valued uh, as mm -hmm. ex extraordinary, an extraordinary movement in the life of the church. But yeah, I think to go back to what we were talking about, so much depends on whether people are able to be open to that kind of transformative synodal conversation, really enter yeah. into this this spirit of discernment rather than approaching it as a parliament, which I really think, Father Lewis, is at the heart of your argument that is it's something yes. that we can all agree on, even if I don't agree with you on the voting thing. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That about does it for our time together. Um, so I just want to thank you both for joining me here on Inside the Vatican to discuss this issue. Well, good. Thank you. Thank you, Colleen. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Very good to see you. And thank you, Colleen. Before we go, here are a few stories that you need to know about this week. First up, Cardinal Zuppi, the Pope's point man for his peace mission to end the war in Ukraine, traveled to Beijing on Tuesday night, September 12th, to meet with Chinese officials. It's not clear who he'll meet with, but some reports have said he could meet with the Chinese Premier, Li Chang. The Vatican says that the Cardinal will go there to support humanitarian initiatives and the search for paths that can lead to a just peace. Next, the new head of the Vatican's Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, Archbishop Victor Manuel Tucho Fernandez, has given a wide-ranging interview to the Jesuit journal La Civiltà Cattolica, reflecting on the mandate that he received from the Pope and the work that he sees ahead of him. You can find excerpts from their conversation at americamagazine.org. And there have been rumors swirling around about what degree of privacy or secrecy there will be around the Synod's discussions in October. You can find a brief write-up on each of these stories and the key takeaways from them at the link in our show notes. There, you can also find links to read the full reports on each of those stories, and you can find a link to Father Lou Camelli's piece on voting at the Synod. And finally, our colleague Father James Martin has just published a new book called Come Forth. It explores the miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It's a really beautiful book. It approaches the story from so many different angles, and I guarantee that it will leave you with a lot to think and pray about. A link and excerpt from the book on our show page, and a link to buy the book. Again, it's called Come Forth. It's published by Harper One, and it is now available everywhere that books, ebooks, and audiobooks are sold. That's all for this week. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Production assistance from Vince Garrisol and Brian Brock at the Archdiocese of Chicago. Audio engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org. And you can follow us on Twitter at INSDEVaticanPod. 
You can also find myself and Jerry on Twitter. I'm at Colleen Dully, C-O-L-L-E-E-N-D-U-L-L-E. And Jerry is at Jerry O. Rome. That's G-E-R-R-Y-O-R-O-M-E. Please consider supporting our work here on Inside the Vatican by purchasing a digital subscription to America Magazine. You can find a link to do that in our show notes. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.